0: The motto for 2 Corinthians is, when I am weak, then I am strong. The Holy Spirit is using the Apostle Paul's troubles to show us that God is faithful, not only to see us through, but to use our difficulties in powerful ways. Now let's join Pastor Ross with another message from the series entitled, Strength Through Weakness. Now, Heavenly Father, we like to pause before we consider your word that the Holy Spirit could Help us to focus our minds and still our hearts so that we can be attentive to your still small voice that works so powerfully, speaks to us so individually and personally and privately, powerfully. So God, thank you that you mean business with us and even tonight can be something life-changing and encouraging and kind of have an epiphany tonight, an aha moment. That makes life a lot more enjoyable. (laughs) May it be so in Jesus' name. Amen. Enjoyable and productive. Amen. For him. All right. This is a picture of the United States ambassador to the nation of Jordan. Her name is Alice Wells. Oh, whoops. Did I say this is? I should have said this was. This was the ambassador to Jordan up until the time of President Trump taking office because when he did take office, uh, he asked for her resignation because she did not properly represent his views in the Middle East very well. Now, Ms. Wells was an Obama appointee. And she was very much pro the Iranian nuclear deal, but uh, the new president was not. And there was a host of other ideas that she had, personally, that she did not uh, reflect uh, the president's ideas. And so, of course, that's the job of an ambassador, right? So the ambassador is somebody, I just looked it up for you, uh, who acts As a representative of a person, nation, or a specific thing. And so thank you for that picture. The Bible is full of metaphors. The Holy Spirit using different analogies of how the Christian life is to be lived. And so if we get a picture, he says, uh, you're like a farmer who's sowing the gospel seed out there into people's hearts. It can germinate and grow into eternal life. You're like builders, you're working on the kingdom of God with the Lord. And you're like a runner or an athlete who disciplines their lives to run a race set before them, a spiritual course, a path. Uh, you're like boxers, right? He says like you fight the good fight of faith. And here in the closing verses of chapter 5, yet another metaphor, and of course that would be ambassadors, we are Christ's representatives. We are the ambassadors for Christ. And that means, of course, that we don't speak uh, our own ideas. We don't, uh, it doesn't matter about our own authority or our opinions. They matter very little. Because an ambassador is really just there to represent the one who sent them. He's com- commissioned to act and behave and to speak in a manner that accurately represents the sending party. And so tonight, we're going to take a look at the ministry God has given us. The way God perceives all Christians is that they represent him and that we have a ministry called the Ministry of Reconciliation, whereby we're announcing God's great plan, the good news, that he wants to reconcile the whole world, to save them, to interpose, to intervene, in the life of somebody who's estranged from him, headed for an eternity, a Christless eternity, to turn them back and to re- reconcile them to himself. That's our job. That through our words, through our lives, that's the overarching theme is, is that we live to cooperate with God in his mission to seek and save the lost. Let me show you what I'm talking about. So, therefore, if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. He is committed to us the message of Reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Verse 21 God made him who had no sin, Christ, to be sin for us, so that in him we might become uh, right with God, or the verse here, the righteousness. Of God. So we'll begin by finishing up where we left off uh, last time here, uh, verses 17 through 21. Note takers, tonight the three little sections are going to be brought to you by the letter T. All right, so the task, first of all, the task. So a little context. So he's been talking about the Christian life and how really nothing else matters because. Christ laid down his life and purchased us with his blood. So he he's saying that he's been explaining the consequences of Jesus' death and resurrection on our behalf is that since Jesus suffered and died and bled to purchase us and then through our faith he joins our spirit unites us with his death and his resurrection, therefore he says in essence we're all intents and purposes Uh, you have died. The old life is gone. So the life that you live now, he raised you up, and you have an obligation to live not for yourself, but for him who died for you. So if he laid it all down for you, the scripture's reasoning with us, shouldn't you lay everything down for him? And so that's kind of the context here in verses uh, 14 and 15, that's what he said. Really, we no longer live for ourselves, but we live uh, for him who died and was raised on our behalf. Really, baptism, and baptism is this coming Sunday out of Mount Gilead. Baptism really says it all in a, in a beautiful picture, right? Uh, let me read to you what I always read at baptisms. I read from Romans chapter 6 and a few verses there. He says, should we go on sinning because we're saved by grace? God forbid. He says, no. Don't you realize that all of us were baptized into Christ Jesus' death? So how can we live in sin anymore? So he says, he says we were therefore buried with Christ through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Life, raised to new life. So if you're raised to new life, you live the life that God wants you to live and the overarching purpose of your Christian life. And it's good that you know this, because if God's thinking you're supposed to be doing something and you're thinking you're supposed to be doing something else, that's not going to be a whole lot of fun. Right. So from God's point of view, he raised you to, to new life to work with him. If he pulled you out of a sinking vessel and he got you on the lifeboat, he's thinking that now you're lending a hand. That's the point. He saves you to save others. He gives to you so that you will give to others. He blesses you not just because he loves you and wants to bless you, which is true, but he blesses you to be a blessing. He gives you gifts and abilities not to use on yourself, but to use to strengthen his people. And so that's the context of this new life, so that we have this new creation But and this new life, but along with the new life comes a task, a new task, a new direction, new goals, all of this. And so... Um, Verse 17 says, there's a clean departure. So if anybody's in Christ, to be in Christ just means to be united to him and and his spirit with your spirit. Uh, He says, if that's happened, there's been a clean departure, a discontinuity from everything that's gone before. So really, you know, it's not that God is renewing you or improving you. But this verse says, you're a new creation. In other words, he came in and he demoed, demoed. there was demolition, there's a new you, right? Yes, you retain the personhood, but everything fallen about you, everything that's a result of uh, of the sinful nature is removed and now the seed of life and new life that's been raised up in you, you're a new creation, the old is gone, the new has come. I like, really, I mean, and so there's, if the old is gone and the new has come, you've got a whole new way of thinking about the world. Uh, In the BST, Bible Study Today commentaries, they pointed out something called the Copernicus uh, Revolution. So Copernicus, in the 1500s, is the one who said, you know what? The earth isn't the center of the universe. The sun is. And so they, they coined a phrase called the Copernicus Revolution to describe any kind of radical rethinking of something. So once Paul was on the Damascus Road and he saw the light, you know, from that encounter with Christ, he had radical rethinking to do. I am no longer the center of the universe. It now revolves, my life revolves around the Lord, and so new purpose, verse 17, new purpose, new motivation, new ambition, new de- new desires. This is the thing, people. People are, are misled to think that becoming a Christian means you tack God's blessing onto the life you're living. Paul says, you don't have a life. You died. He raised you up. That life is His life now, yes, you retain your personality and and your interests and the things that you like, and he's going to use that, but those things are going to be channeled not to come back to you, but to bless him. And so, yeah, we're not mindless robots that just walk around and we're in, all of us in full-time ministry with no pleasures and no entertainment and no life. He's just saying the new you is a life that belongs to him, that works for him. How I work, how I love, who I love, how I love, what I love, how I live, how I speak, how I think, right? So 18 through 21 now, he says you're saved with purpose and he's gonna unpack what it means to be an ambassador for the Lord to work for him. So he says this wonderful new life that's born from above, comes with a wonderful new ministry, a task. and As I've been saying, uh, it's the overarching theme of our lives to impact others, to help them to see the light and be saved. So he says in verse 18, God's the source of all of this. He gave us this ministry of, of reconciliation. So in other words, God saved us, raised us up to this new life, and he wants us to help him save the world. One writer said this, the Lord said, of his own mission, he said, I came to seek and save the lost. And the writer said, and on the same errand, he has sent the church. That the same Jesus that walked those streets in, in, in the Galilee wants to continue his work in our hearts. And he wants to walk into your workplace and into your family and to reconcile through your life, through your behavior, through your reactions, through your words. He wants to impact those around you to reconcile them back to himself so that no one will perish, but all come to the knowledge of the truth and be saved. And so that's really the bent of our lives, to shine the light, to speak the truth in love, to be salt, to be fishers of men. He says it in so many different ways, but that's the bent of our lives. So Paul elaborates now the, the details in 18 and 19. He says, uh, He's done the work. Look at that in 18 and 19. He says, Listen, uh, we, all this comes from God. God's done the work. He's reconciled the whole world. And instead of saying, Have you made your peace with God? the truth of the matter is, have you accepted the peace God has made with you? How are you ever going to make peace with God? You can't do that. He has made peace with you. You would have gone your merry way right off the, the cliff. Down into the abyss, which is called the bottomless pit, had he not intervened. And so this is what we're talking about. All this is from God. He was busy reconciling the whole world. In fact the whole world is reconciled to him now but on the condition that the person decides and has faith and comes to him to be saved God is just so either your sins are going to be paid for by Christ or you're going to pay for them we do have an option and self-pay is not the best one I would go with letting the Lord pay our way. Amen? And so he's saying, God did all of this. Jesus bore your sins. He who had no sin became the sin for us. He cries out in accounting term on the cross. It is finished, he said. Really, which means paid in full. So here's the good news. God wants, God's reconciled the whole world to himself. And he says, now I need some front men and front women, some spokespeople. That's your job. That is your job. There is no getting around it. It doesn't matter if you're an introvert or not. The command of God is there. And it doesn't mean that you go stand out on the street corner like a street evangelist. But it means that in your heart... There's a compassion and awareness that people are not reconciled to him because they haven't come to him and they need to hear. And through our love and through our care and through our words, that's what we're doing. The message is is he's cleared the way. He's not mad at you anymore. That's what we're saying to people. He says uh, the message is he hired your defense attorney. He is the defense attorney. He posted your bail. He paid your fine. He did your time. You're acquitted from all your charges. You're free to go, uh, not on your own, you're free to go into the arms of a loving God who will lovingly receive you as his own son or daughter. That's exactly what it is. And so once salvation comes to you, you just have an obligation to join the effort. How dare somebody enjoy the salvation of God and then not lift a finger to help somebody else? How dare we get saved and not contribute to the work Of which we were an object of salvation. Oh yeah, no. Well, I'm just glad that I'm saved. But I'm not going to give to the Lord's work. I'm not going to open up my mouth. I'm not going to pray for my neighbor. I'm not going to do any of those things. I'm just happy I'm saved. There is something seriously not right with that kind of thinking. And so he's saying, uh, everybody, we're all part of the team. You get saved. You start working. You start serving in your own way. In your introverted way. God bless introverts. He made you an introvert. But even introverts have influence in people's lives. And you've got to be thinking about it. You've got to be thinking about it. Romans 10 and 14 says, how can they put their trust in someone who they've never heard of? And he goes on to say, and how can people hear of him unless someone tells them? And so that is just our thing. Listen, I've heard this all my Christian life. I just love people to Jesus. You're going to have to use your words sooner or later. And listen, <laughs> listen, you're going to have to use your words. I understand the loving part and it, it's huge. But you know what? You're, you're really good at telling a joke. You're good at telling a joke. You're good at explaining instructions to people where you feel in the, uh, like you know how to. You can give directions to somebody. What is it with this I can't uh, open my mouth and tell somebody how to escape the flames of eternal hell and make it to eternal life? Why, why is suddenly the cat's got your tongue? Remember, I, this is not in my notes. Surprise. Uh, <laughs> I'm in the post office in San Francisco and somebody had a seizure in front of me just fell over and I said, I'm i not even thinking and I'm not a pastor at the time I was just like a normal Christian <laughs> and so I, I knelt down by him and I put my hand on his head he's passed out completely an older guy and I start praying Father God just out loud Father God, uh, you know, help this man. And we just, I just pray that you sustain his life and come to him, give him peace in his heart, whatever is going on, Lord, and just, but whatever. In Jesus' name, amen. And the guy, I stand up and the ambulance is called and the guy comes over and he goes, hey, I'm a Christian too. And he, and he, and he goes, that was good that you prayed. You know? And he goes, you know what? I go to promise keepers. And I said, yeah, this is how long ago it was. (laughs) And I said, why are we whispering? (laughs) 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 Suddenly, suddenly, oh, no, I can't tell. Possibly let someone else know I'm a Christian. Yikes. And so that's what he's saying. You don't have an option. If Christ comes into your life, you've got to care about the loss. You've got to get with the program. The Christ who lives in you is still about his father's business, seeking and saving the loss through you. You've got to work the program, man. You've got to get with it, you know? And you might be wondering, oh, what's missing in my life? I just told you. (laughs) Right there, you're not thinking about anybody. You work side by side with somebody who is going to Perish, and not a word. You certainly do your work and don't have to talk every five minutes about it. You know, look, at I've got a whole paragraph staring at me like that. Now listen. <laughs> so in short, there's a celebration. That's the message. There's a celebration. You're inviting people. You know, the uh, the Lord said, I think I've got it in Matthew. Is it 22? The kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. Oh, that sounds familiar. Verse 3. He, he sent his servants, us, to those who had been invited, everyone, to tell them whosoever wants to come to this royal palace. But they refused to come. Then he sent some more servants and said, tell those who have been invited that I've prepared my dinner. My oxen, my fatted cattle have been butchered and everything is ready. Because what did your verse say? God has taken care of everything. He's done the work He reconciled everybody to himself. And not only has he butchered the fatted calf so that everybody can enjoy the meal, but somebody else had to be butchered so that whosoever, good or bad, out there could be invited to come on into the king's palace and sit with the Son of God and not be in any trouble whatsoever. That's a pretty amazing thing. That's what he wants. He wants inviters, ambassadors. That's what he's saying. He's committed to us. Look at verse 19 again. He's committed. He's entrusted. He's counting on us. That's what that word means. So he's saying to the crazy Corinthians, he's saying, get over the offenses Get over your petty little lives. Get over yourself. Stop staring at your belly buttons for crying out loud. Stop complaining and criticizing and thinking about yourself and start complying with the task that comes with new life. It comes with it. There's something more pressing right now than anybody in this room or any problem that anybody in this room has. There is something more pressing than all of our problems put together. It's the shape of the world and the destiny of souls that we know who will perish forever without a second chance. They will die the second death without end in a place where the flame never dies and the worm never dies as well. That's a bigger thing than any of our little worlds right now. And he's saying, Corinthians, wake up. You're an ambassador, man. You're an ambassador. So um, it's a bad place for the chapter break, but I think you get the point. And verses 1 and 2 sort of fills it out of chapter 6. So let's go there. Now, we've seen the task. Ready for the second T? The second T is time. As God's fellow workers, there it is again. (laughs) We urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. God has given you such grace, such privilege, such honor. Is it going to be all for nothing? For he says, in the time of my favor, I heard you. And in the day of salvation, I helped you. I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. Let's talk about the time. We've seen the task. So you're going to get busy serving the Lord because he has lavished his love and grace and mercy on you and saved your wretched soul. The time to do that, to A, accept that invitation, B, then help him spread that invitation to others is not tonight, later, not tomorrow, but now, to embrace his work now. And so God knows us all too well and he knows that when we're giving tasks and when a preacher gets up there and starts ranting like I just did, that people are saying, yeah, I need to do that. Yeah, yeah, that sounds right. Yeah, that might be missing in my life and I certainly need to grow in my compassion for lost souls and my boldness and all of that. Tomorrow. So he says, oh, no, 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 no. I know what you're thinking. You're thinking I'll improve in this whole area sometime down the road, down there. Then I'll start thinking about all of that awkwardness that I have to deal with. And uh, he says, "Uh, you cannot procrastinate. You can't put this off till tomorrow because you're not guaranteed tomorrow, nor is your next door neighbor. So you don't do anything socially odd but you're looking for god-given windows of opportunity for you to bring up the lord or to do a good deed and tag on jesus name to it because a good deed without the name of jesus is just a good deed if you build somebody a house and don't tell them about the lord at all They're going to carry that body out of the house and the angels will escort the soul to hell. So what good is a good deed without tagging the gospel to it? And this is what he's saying. And when are you going to do that? You better do it now. Because the thing about just putting it off, you put it off, you put it off. It's just endless. It's just endless. So that's what he's saying here. It's too important. The sacredness of the person involved. Look who you're working with. <laughs> you're not working as God's fellow workers. Just let that smack you upside of the soul, <laughs> please. As God's fellow workers. You're not working at Applebee's here. <laughs> and you're not working with your boss or your supervisor, or a human being. He's saying God is employed you and he's in you and needing you to cooperate and work with who? With God. So because of the sacredness of the person, the importance of the task, it demands urgency and our immediate compliance, both to accept the offer and, and begin to extend the offer. It's God's work. It's heaven or hell on the line. Therefore, let's take our own Christian lives and get serious in this moment. And so I really like this. Now's the time. Now's the time. When you're in the car with the person, that's the time. Pray, think, bring something up. If nothing happens, at least you brought something. You knocked a little bit. You tried a little bit, right? But try Pray, be thinking. Now, that's the time. It's not later because then you're out of the car and that person's not there anymore. It's really a call to seize the day. Seize the day because it'll slip away any opportunity like that. My dad had bought my brother a watch and on the back of the watch for his birthday, it said, the time is now, second Corinthians chapter six verse two. So every time he'd look at that to see what time it was, my father wanted him to remember the time is now. You may be sitting here unreconciled to God. Oh don't you be thinking tomorrow or later. Don't even let me finish the sermon. It'll be a while anyway, knowing me. (laughs) You have probably a long time, but don't do that. Do it now. Bow your head right this second. Why would you wait another second? That's the kind of urgency from the scriptures, not from Pastor Ross. I am just the weatherman. All I do is I read the Doppler report and I, and I just tell you what it says here. And so this is what he's talking about. He's saying, so then uh, he says, listen, look at the psychological, not warfare, but look at what God is doing to, to us. Look at what the Holy Spirit is saying. He goes to Isaiah 49 and he says, and, and Paul is, has the liberty by the Holy Spirit to apply it to now. And he's saying, listen, God's speaking to you and says, when you were down and out, when your soul was damned, when you were powerless to do a thing, you cried out and guess who heard you? I heard you. And guess what I did? I helped you, didn't I? I heard you. I didn't have to. And I helped you. I didn't have to. And now, will you hear me? Will you hear me? Will you help me? Now I need you. He's not looking to the angels to win your coworker or your brother or your boss or the person works out next to you at the gym. That person is your responsibility Yes, you may not have the gift of evangelism, but you can say a prayer. You can care. You can think. You can be involved. That's what he's saying here. And so he says, I'm urging you not to receive God's grace in vain. That's a really excellent thing. So he's saying, if you can receive God's grace... And you can just be unproductive and, and ineffective. And really, it's in vain because you missed the whole point. I wanted a helper. I needed someone who's going to join the team. And you just thought, I, yeah, I'm going to save you. And now, you know, you, you cross the finish line and you're safe and you got fire insurance. And you've received the grace of God in vain because you're not using him. You're not on the field. You're not suited up. You don't even get that you're supposed to be suited up and on the field and caring about the issue at hand, which is dying souls. That's what he's saying here. So to receive the grace of God in vain, all you have to do is the following. Live just for yourself and your own interests. Uh, Don't cooperate with the moral transformation that's going on in your life. Be unresponsive to the Holy Spirit and the Word of God and disinterested in the souls who are lost around you. That would be receiving the grace of God in vain. And I promise you, you will see lots of them in heaven. They are there, they received the grace of God, but it was in vain. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, it says, it. do not be one of them. And then so start saying, God, dear God, what have I been doing? I've been missing it. I forgot. I didn't know. I, I've been neglecting you. Burn something in me. Change my heart. That's how you do these things. You're just honest and say, you know what? I don't even like that person. I don't even care if they perish. You have to start with that. And say, give me a heart for that person. They irritate me to no end. I don't want to share the gospel with them. I can't even bring myself to talk to them, let alone share the gospel with them, right? So God's looking for people who are not going to uh, receive the grace of God in vain. Let's finish up with the third T, three through 10. We put note, now speaking of the ministry and the reconciliation and uh, receiving the ministry of the grace of God in vain. On the contrary to that, we're not like that. He says, we put no stumbling block in anyone's path so that our ministry will not be discredited. Rather, as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way in great endurance, in troubles, hardship and distresses, in beatings, Imprisonments and riots and hard work, sleepless nights and hunger, in purity, understanding, patience and kindness in the Holy Spirit and in sincere love, in truthful speech and in the power of God with weapons of righteousness in the right hand and in the left. Verse eight, through glory and dishonor, bad report and good report, genuine yet regarded as impostors. Known yet regarded as unknown, dying, and yet we live on, beaten, and yet not killed, sorrowful, yet always rejoicing, poor, yet making many rich, having nothing, and yet possessing everything. That's where we're going to stop tonight, so let's go through the paragraph. So we saw the task, the ministry of reconciliation, the time, now, And the truth, Paul and the associates have not received the grace of God in vain. Rather, they've gone the extra mile to live and minister with the the utmost integrity to be above reproach in every area of their life. Now, if I would look at that, I would call that a cover letter and resume of of an honorable ambassador of Christ. This is the life, the highs and the lows, the outward and the inward. This is if you're wondering, have I received the grace of God in vain? Uh, We'll look at this and you'll be able to see Paul's life and the kind of uh, ambassador he was for the Christ. So let's take it apart. The first thing he says, you know, really, if you look at this, it's how not to receive the grace of God in vain. But if you put it in a negative way, sometimes that catches your attention better. Uh, how to become a stumbling block or how to nullify God's grace in your life. So number one, be a stumbling block uh, or put in a another way, we never trip people up. We're always living and speaking in a way that would invite uh, Outsiders to be attracted to the gospel, not to malign uh, the word of God. And so here he's saying, um, for example, being a stumbling block to somebody is like Christians who misrepresent God. In other words, the endless problem of sexual immorality in the church. Unbelievable. So to name Christ and then Live with your boyfriend or girlfriend, or sleep around with them. Um, That is one way you would be a stumbling block because outsiders see that and they laugh. You know, they'll drive by your apartment where the truck is parked at two o'clock in the morning and you're not married and there's a fish on your bumper sticker and they laugh. And so the unbelievers blaspheme God's name because of a compromised Christian. And so this is what he's talking about. We don't stumble anybody. We don't do that. So Christians who, their marriages are a mess and everybody knows it. That's not good. Yeah, everybody struggles. But we have a moral obligation to have our lives in order because people are watching. Christians who disregard the law, that's stumbling block in all of this. And so... He's really saying here, uh, we live with integrity because we don't want to put a stumbling block in front of people. We don't do that. Instead, we take great pain to live in a way that doesn't damage the reputation of the gospel. You know, I have told you this before. When our kids were little, never once did they hear a negative word about a a church problem. Never Once. We guarded our lips from that because parents come home and the kids are listening and you bring it all up right there. We never did that because we didn't want to stumble them. We wanted them to think that church is the greatest, most beautiful, wonderful, loving place ever, right? And we let them figure it out when they're teenagers that maybe there's... (laughs) There are some <laughs> struggles going on there as well. But you don't stumble, people. Verse 4, in every area of life, he says, we strive to be blameless, right? And so here comes some lists. And we're going to go through the lists. And this is the resume of a good ambassador who hasn't... Uh, Hasn't received the grace of God in vain. And so what comes up first is nine afflictions. Through which this sometimes Christians have to go through. Who maintain their faith through these kinds of things. And so there are nine afflictions, three sets in your, uh, there we go. So we're going to go through them right here. He says, through Troubles, hardships, distresses, beatings, imprisonments, riots, hard work, sleepless nights, and hunger. So here's what he's saying. First of all, we have uh, general kinds of problems and adversity that affect everybody. So he says troubles. These are things that oppress you, press you down. Then he says hardships. Hardships are troubles without end in sight. That's what the Greek word means. And then he says, distresses, distresses means to the frustrating tight corners, no way out, being backed against the wall. That's what he's talking about. And here's what he's saying. A good ambassador who's received the grace of God. We stay calm. We stay cool and collected. We remain faithful and obedient through these times. We don't become embittered. We don't say, hey, I need to take some time off because my life is unfolding in ways I didn't see coming and I'm wounded right now and I need a little break from God and his people and fellowship and serving. That's to receive the grace of God in vain. He says, no, I'm an ambassador. Whether I'm in trouble, having a hardship, distresses, beatings, imprisonment, riots, hard work, sleepless nights, or hunger. so He's going to go on to beatings and imprisonments here. And riots, beatings, to be physically accosted, imprisoned, falsely, right? Persecuted, that you don't deserve it. Because First Peter chapter 2 says, for if anyone endures the pain of unjust suffering because he's conscious of God, this is to be con- commended. Verse 20, he says, how is it to your credit if you're beaten for doing wrong and you endure it? But if you suffer for doing good, and you endure it, this is commendable before God. And so then it riots. When, when all hell breaks loose in your life, here's what you do. Here's what a good ambassador does who has the grace of God, who wants to please his master. We stay calm, cool, and collected. We remain faithful and obedient with a sweet spirit, trusting the Lord and continuing to serve him through beatings, imprisonments, and riots. We don't say, oh, I've got this big problem with God now. We draw little lines in the sand and say, you know, I'll serve you, but you put one toe over this line, and I'm out of here. And so many Christians, and let me just say, there are terrible things. We agree with you. Shocking, confusing. How's this ever going to work? And how could have God let this happen? We're with you on that. But nothing changes the job description. Doesn't mean I have to go running out and just tell everybody about Jesus and sing songs when I have a just, just destroyed heart. But it means I'm still on call. I'm on duty when it's raining, when it's snowing, when there's a drought, when I'm in pain, when I'm happy, when I'm depressed. i got to do this twice a week for 15 years. I've done this twice a week. Do you think that all the time that I've come into the pulpit feeling, praise the Lord. I've got the victory, you know. Do you know how many times I had to come up here with a hurting heart, with questions and confusion and tears. Pastors aren't the only one called to stay the course when things get rough. Amen? So he's not done yet. Hard work, sleepless (laughs) nights and hunger. The hard work means never ending. The preaching and the teaching, the sharing, the relentless need of people The spiritual warfare, the the world around us perishing, that requires hard work. Sleepless nights, interesting. It means voluntary abstinence of sleep because you're burning the midnight oil for God. In other words, he's up saying, I don't need to sleep because I've got to pray. Or he's got work to do or he's got to prepare for his sermon because all day long he made tents. So he says, through sleepless nights and just because I didn't have any sleep, I can't say, you know, say I'm not going to do this anymore. I'm in, you know. And then hunger... Is also voluntary, skipping meals to fast and to pray, and it includes falling on hard times. But here's the point of this. No matter what the situation, I'm on call, I'm a Christian, I'm doing as well, I'm obeying, I'm praising, I'm worshiping. Yeah, the dips and all of that. But I'm going to be faithful through through it all. That's what ambassadors who don't forfeit the grace of God do. And now he's going to move from Enduring the circumstances now and dealing, now working on inward qualities, uh, verses six through seven, I've got those up there. The next slide. So he's saying, an ambassador is an ambassador obediently and faithfully through all those outward troubles. And at the same time, I'm cultivating and working because it's hard work to develop Christian character. So he says, at the same time, I'm working on purity inside, representing him who is pure. And the word there means morally upright and singleness of heart, just wanting to be good. Understanding there means a knowledge of God and the gospel and a sensitivity to God's will. That's what you got to have Inside your heart, if you're going to represent him well, also patience and kindness. And this is hard, right? So with patience, it's really taking it on the chin and and not becoming bitter or wanting to act in a vengeful way. That's the patience for an ambassador. That you don't have the luxury of reacting and blowing off steam because you represent Christ who when he was insulted and reviled he opened not his mouth but rather entrusted himself to the one who could save him that's what he did and if you're going to represent him then you have to be able to be dying and have somebody revile you at you to bless them instead so, when they curse you as Christ's ambassador because you represent the Christ who would bless when he was reviled, we have to be like him. And if you want to be a good ambassador, you have to be patient. And that's what that word means and kind. It means to be really generous with the grace, to cut people slack. My word, <laughs> you've been cut ginormous slack. How dare any of us be stingy with the mercy? James says, if you're not going to be merciful, if you're not a merciful person, that means to be good and to let someone off the hook who doesn't deserve it. If you're not good at that and you don't do that, he says, it won't be shown to you. Look it up. To the one who does not show mercy, mercy will not be shown to them. Why? How dare we? We want to suck down all the grace, all the, all the forgiveness, all the mercy, and then not extend it to anybody. That's not good. Amen? <sighs> <sighs> Patience. Being filled with the Holy Spirit. I love this one because he says, listen. Where do you think any of this is ever going to come from? It's not going to come from you or your willpower. You're not going to go to any seminar and come away with any of these qualities. It's going to have to be you yielding to the Holy Spirit. It's the fruit of the Holy Spirit as you yield within your own heart. And so he goes on. And they say that sincere love. A lot of people talk love, but they don't show it. So sincere love is not just saying the words, but doing the deeds and meeting somebody's need when you don't want to. When they want you to help them move and they didn't even pack up. That's the worst. At least put it in boxes, people. But love can handle that. Love can cover a multitude of boxes and then he goes on to say three now three strategies three things that help me in this he says number 1 truthful speech you keep being honest you keep saying the true things you keep thinking the true things he says god will make a way it's when we're dishonest and cut corners and don't have integrity he says it's a weapon it's it's useful Keep speaking the truth in love. And then he says the power of God accompanies that kind of integrity. So live with integrity, speak the truth, the power of God manifests. And then he says we have spiritual weapons on the, using, using spiritual weapons in the right hand and the left. In the right hand, here's what Paul's saying. In the right hand was the sword, so the offensive weapon. And in the left hand, the shield, so the defensive weapon. And so, spiritually speaking, we're talking about the Word of God and prayer and our faith. He says to get through this life and this fallen world with all this adversity, outward and inward, God has given us tools. Use the tools, man. Use the tools. Fight. Pick up the word of God and say, you know what it says? It says in the Bible, God has not given me the spirit of fear, but a power and love and sound mind. That you can say, you know, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. You're using the sword. You see, when you're thinking, I can't do that. I can do All things through Christ who gives me strength. And when the devil comes around and says, you know, you're a loser, you're this and that, you're never going to make it. You have this shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the fiery darts of the evil one. But I'll tell you what, there are so many Christian pacifists. You just sit around and just punch him back for the devil and the world. Pick Up the Bible. Start quoting it. Start memorizing it. Start loving it. Start using it. Start believing it. Pick up the shield of faith. He says, if you have faith this big, a little seed, a mustard seed, you could talk to a mountain and have it move. That's what the kind of things we need. And so really quick now, 8 through 10, there are nine little couplets. Let's just run through them. He says, This Christian life is a dichotomy. It's a paradox. Let's go through it. He's saying, listen, through glory and dishonor. So we don't have a a real welcome here. We're not well received here. But we will be in heaven. So here they mock and make fun of you, right, as an ambassador. They roll their eyes. But one day in heaven, you will reign and rule with him and sit on a throne and judge the world with him. So, yeah, in one, on one hand, we're despised and rejected like him. And on the other hand, well, there's a lot of glory coming our way. Bad reports and good reports. So, there are bad reports all the time. There's always opposition and slander, right? But God protects our reputation, right? Genuine, we're the real deal, but always falsely accused. We're known. Yet unknown. So he's saying, you know what? In the Greek world, Paul was a nobody. In the Jewish world, he was a somebody. But his detractors in the Gentile world were saying, who is this guy? Right? So he's saying, hey, uh, you know what? We're known by God, but nobody here thinks we're any big deal. But God thinks we're a big deal. Enough to say you're going to reign and rule with me. Dying on one hand, yet we live on. We, we take a beating and we come out ticking still, you know, like the, the Timex slogan here. It takes a beating and it's still ticking or whatever. What does it go? It takes a licking and still keeps ticking. I got my Energizer bunny mixed up with the, with the watch there, I think. Dying yet we live on being sorrowful. We deny ourselves. We pick up our crosses. We, we have a lot of grief in this world. And yet down deep, we know God is working this out for my good. Yes. He said, I'm going to be an overcomer. I'm going to make it to heaven. So there's this mix going on in me. I got grief. I got sadness. And I got joy. Right? He goes on to say, I'm poor. He says at the end of his life, he didn't have much. He said, guess what? I may not have a retirement plan. But you know what? I open my mouth and I pray and I preach the gospel and I make sure someone else has a great retirement plan with great benefits. It's called eternal life. Amen, right? So I may be poor, but I'm making everybody rich, like filthy rich, like eternal rich, right? Do you get it? All right. Having nothing yet possessing everything. What did Paul have? Had a few books at the end of his life in a robe. But he's co-heirs with Christ. What does Christ inherit? Christ is God. He's got the whole thing. And if you're a co-heir, you share with him. You partner with him, a co-heir. That he says, I've got nothing, but I've got everything. I'm kind of sad. I'm the happiest guy in the world. Death is happening in me and life at the same time. Yeah. This is the life of the ambassador. All of this, a mixed bag. This is who we are. This is how we're struggling. This is how we overcome. This is how we live even when all hell breaks loose around us. We live with integrity because of Christ. And what he's done and what's on the line, heaven and hell, eternal souls. And God is counting on us. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your great love, your goodness to us. Thank you, Lord, for showing us once again who we are and what the compassion that needs to be in our hearts for the things that you are compassionate about. Souls. That's Souls. Help us to remember that in the coming days. In Christ's name, amen. You have been listening to The Rock Podcast. Our regular services are held on Wednesday nights at 6.30 and Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. Sometimes if like you would like I'm to learn more, please visit our website at cctherock.org. Sometimes it feels like